and greetings programs and welcome to a new episode of the awesome friday podcast recorded especially for you in person for a change and that's super weird that's right folks simon and i are in the same room which hasn't happened in got three three years maybe we used to do it in the same room all the time i know at least then there was some kind of global event that prevented us from (sighs) socializing but anyway uh here we are to talk about movies. How are you this week? Uh, I, uh, well, <laughs> I've had the week off to look after my kids um, who are on summer uh, summer break and I've taken a week off work and I've done a lot of cool, fun stuff to the point that I'm thinking, well, why am I working? Why do I work? Why do we work at all uh, because... instead of spending time with our children? My children are now 11 and 8 and as you can probably attest they are real actual people. They are, it's true. With real personalities and um, And thoughts and opinions and everything. They are as wonderful as they are exhausting and (laughs) I learned so much from them and this week I have hiked and we've played games and we've had picnics and I'm like what the fuck am I doing? Every day sending them to school, like five out of seven days a week I'm not seeing them. Yeah. So I'm having a bit of an existential crisis this week. How about you? How's, uh... Sounds like business as usual <laughs> in uh, Simon's household. It really does, doesn't it? Uh, no, I'm fine. I just haven't been going to uh, my day job. And uh, that's it. That's all I do. It's this and that. It's, yes. you know, I don't, uh, I don't have children. I just have cats and movies to watch. Which is kind of also great. So... Although when you say it out loud, it sounds really sad. <laughs> I mean, no one's judging. You do have amazing cats. Let's not forget that. That's true. That's because all cats are great. They're well, all good cats. That's, that's true. That's true. But some cats are better than others. The big news of this week is, of course, uh, Warner Brothers falling apart. Hey, do you remember a time when Warner Brothers, as a name, defi- was a, a definition of movie quality? Do you remember that? I mean, not exactly, but I do remember when they at least seemed to give a shit about the movies they were making. They're one of the classic companies. It's a bit like when Amazon bought MGM. It felt like the end of an era. And the end of Warner Bros. as as a a, a movie-defining company happened a long time ago. But this week, with the merger with Discovery, and they just cancelling finished movies. Just like, we're going to write them off for tax purposes. (laughs) Because that's the easiest. So I'm sort of with two minds about this. Like, on the one hand, I honestly sort of get when the CEO of the company says, like, we don't believe this is going to make money. It's a business choice to, like, not release this and take the tax right. Like, from a business perspective, I would like to just first say that, sure. But from a how you handle that situation by having the directors of the Batgirl movie find out at one of their weddings by like not calling them ahead of time and being like this is what's going to happen we're really sorry we want to keep working with you this is like the choices we're making no people are finding out second and third hand about all of this stuff and it's just awful it's just not how you treat people that work for you or that you respect in any way wait Uh, you found out at his wedding yeah i can't remember which one but one of them was getting married and they found they were told at that wedding that the that batgirl had been cancelled that's a special kind of bullshit. Yeah. Especially when they are, um, their reputation is that they are lovely, lovely, enthusiastic people. As two They're guys. super talented directors. Like, I haven't seen any of their uh, Belgian stuff, but Bad Boys for Life is a great movie. Yeah, it's very good. Their episodes of Miss Marvel are among probably the best two episodes of Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. They have a really 
creative eye uh, and the, uh, it's, they're, they're super talented people and mm-hmm. I, I feel really bad for them. But you know, it, uh, Kevin Feige is going to call them up and be like, hey, you want more work? And <laughs> it's funny because like on the one hand, it feels weird to celebrate the Disney cultural, you know, what's the right word for that right now? Dominance? But at the yeah, same time, yeah. like if they... If they're going to treat their creatives well, like, mm-hmm. and if Warner Brothers are going to help them out by being a shitty company, then what else are you going to do? I just think that Warner of really sh- or who, whatever we call them these days, have shot themselves on the foot because any act with half a choice is going to avoid them like the plague in case their movie gets just written off for a tax break. And now I don't know. So I mean, I don't if- really see that happening moving forward, just because, like. At this point, if the if the director like it's I don't also don't think it's that odd for like a new person to come into a company, or even like a branch of a company and be like everything the old guy did was terrible. I'm canceling all of it. Like and now everything that went wrong, I'll blame on him, and everything that looks good from now on will be all me, baby. Like that is <laughs> totally normal corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I imagine that like he'll just own all the successes and downplay all the all the ones that don't succeed moving forward. But like. This just isn't... For me, again, it's not really that the business decision was bad. Like, maybe $90 million is a lot to spend on a a movie that goes straight to streaming. But you just don't handle it this way. Yeah. Right? It's... Seems really short-sighted as well. Because the the DC have been trying for a while to uh, salvage whatever's left after the whole Snyder debacle. Like, they've been... For years and years, they've been trying to make their own little MCU anyway. And the early test screens of Batgirl were really, really positive. And more than anything, it heralded the return of Michael Keaton after 30 years, a break of playing Batman. And it just seems like such a short-sighted decision to take a movie that is done, not even in production, but mostly done, and just throw it away. And two of them, too, because they cancelled the... uh, animated Scoob yeah. sequel which I never saw the first one but apparently like is a perfectly fine, it's fine. movie it does it does different things it's a different take on them and Scoob um, uh, and, and it's fine but the um, I mean an animated movie as well where the, the the number of people involved in that film and by all accounts it was pretty much done mm-hmm. and the out the months and months and months of crunch and work that would go into that is it's just heartbreaking for the for the people involved i mean imagine being oh insert batgirl actress name here La, leslie grace leslie grace who was who's who's so good and so enthusiastic and has been so like into this chance of of representing her culture as batgirl and it's just thrown away yeah and they are brilliant directors as well i would have loved to have seen what they did with it with the property so it's very sad it's very very sad indeed and hopefully it doesn't like herald more cuts like is this uh, now we're apparently crawling out of the pandemic and people aren't watching as much i know the games industry is recording a, a, a massive dip in engagement across all the consoles mm-hmm. um I, I wonder if the streaming services are starting to realise that they need to do more in order to keep people... Um, and, and, I mean, of course, they, they, they want their year-on-year targets to be 
the year where everyone had to stay in. Like, they're still trying to match that year, and of course it's not going to be the same. Yeah. I mean, all of this is... It's all cromulent to the point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think the thing is that even Netflix is slowing down on its $200 million blockbusters. I think everyone realizes that spending this amount of money on direct streaming releases is not a sustainable business model. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because of the way that streaming platforms make money, right? Like, it's not an immediate... When you release a movie... doesn't do well in its first weekend it's effectively a flop but a streaming film has to like sustain over time and be a thing that attracts people to the platform or keeps them on the platform so they can watch it again and what's really stupid about it is that like every indication is that Batgirl would have been one of those for me at least so I was really looking forward to that mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I really hope that whatever Adil and Dalal do next uh, I will also watch because they mm. are great and uh I don't, I don't want to get into it if you haven't seen it, but uh, Discovery, Warner Discovery had their earnings call where they outlined their future plans. And it's just a hellscape of corporate synergy, mm-hmm. leaning very much towards the, you know, all of the Discovery side of things. And, oh, yeah. And all of the, like, ongoing, cheap as shit reality TV stuff that they do. And their presentation was, you know, kind of misogynist and terrible. Yeah. And, Men like HBO. Yeah. Women like Discovery. Yeah, it's terrible. But, you know, whatever. Warner Brothers isn't going away. They've been around. They've been, this is like their third third sell-off that I can remember at least, right? Because they mm-hmm. merged with Time Warner, and then they merged with AT&T, and now they're merged with Discovery. So mm-hmm. they'll continue. And uh, who knows what's going to happen. But they won't cancel The Flash. <laughs> like I guess they I mean they outright that the flash that is something they're very excited about. I think also what this comes down to is that like we're reasonably plugged into what's happening in Hollywood, and I think lots of people, especially like in our Twitter circle, it's we're very plugged in. But I think if you ask like an average Joe moviegoer if they knew about even Ezra Miller and how terrible he's been in the last, like, six months. I'm not entirely convinced anyone would even know, right? Mm-hmm. And they sort of bank on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I bet you the average person on the street had no idea there was a background movie even being made, mm-hmm. let alone having been unceremoniously dumped. So, yeah, my... you know, at the end of the day, I think I think it helps to remember that we do exist in somewhat of a bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, that's all i got to say. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, well... Either way, it sucks. Yeah, it really sucks. So I just feel for all the people involved. Like, business decisions aside, all these cast and crew that have finished these two movies, uh, it it must be so um, demoralizing to have all your works thrown out like that. It's terrible. So Mm -hmm. hopefully they all find an abundance of work in the future. That would be very... That would be the best case scenario. Yeah. Away, it's far away from Warner Discovery. Yeah, hopefully. Well, so what are we talking about this week? <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's transition to something a little bit happier. We're going to yeah. talk about two movies as we are wont to do. Both of them from Warner's uh, competition this week. Uh, both of them from hmm, what? Oh, doing this one first. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, both of them from Disney. Uh, one recently released in streaming after a theatrical run, and one gone straight to streaming, uh, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. <laughs> But we're going to start with um, Pixar's latest film, Lightyear, which is... Now, 
I find this movie kind of confusing because (laughs) this is apparently Lightyear is so the kid in the Toy Story movies Andy who bought a Buzz Lightyear doll in the first movie he bought that doll because it was a doll from his favorite movie And and, and Lightyear is that movie yeah and let me just go on record and say that, like, I don't think that's a bad idea. Uh-huh. But it is a lot of lore to explain for what is ostensibly a children's film. <laughs> yes. I got a question for you. How old is Andy in Toy Story? Is oh, he's... 10, from, from, uh-huh. Ish? He's about 10 or 11, right? I mean, he's he is... You're going to go to Google. I'm I mean, gonna... He feels like an 11-year-old or a 10-year-old. He feels like my son's age, kind of. Uh, I mean, maybe. Okay. Maybe, I so don't know. Does Lightyear feel like... A movie that would be a 10, 11 year old's favorite movie on, I mean, on any level. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> when I was 10, one of my favorite movies was The Last Starfighter. So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Last Starfighter is much better than Lightyear because it goes places. It actually uh, is interesting in the worlds that it explores. From uh, I, I'm cutting to the chase a bit with Lightyear. So Lightyear is about, uh, uh, Buzz Lightyear is a space ranger, is on a mission on a planet that they uh, feel is safe, but then it turns out it's very much not safe. There's lots of bugs that attack them. And And vines, lots of vines. Lots of vines and bugs. So it's alive, it's the vines. And so he tries to fly away in his turbot spaceship. And he likes to self-narrate, like make... um, Shatner-style Captain's Logs in his uh, arm pop-up. If you've seen... Uh, of course, you've seen Toy Story. You've seen the way that he speaks into his arm. Everything he does in there has some kind of law kind of equivalent in this movie. Uh, and so they try to fly away when they're being attacked. He and his crew um, try to fly away. And through his own um, overconfidence, his... The ship clips a uh, uh, cliffside and crashes. Yeah, he tries to take off at an unsafe trajectory. Yes. And so they they stay on the planet and they build like a... It seems to be the plan is that they're going to build a little planet station whilst fending off the aliens to build a ship that can go so fast it can go home and take them home back to Earth. Or on onto their destination. I'm not onto really their, clear. Onto, yeah, it's not Which really of clear. those things yeah. it is. Uh, but it turns out that every time he does a hyper speed jump, he jumps four years into the future. Yeah, he approaches relativistic speeds, <laughs> and time passes at a different rate. So when he comes back, everyone's a little bit older, and he and uh, he he is obsessed with completing the mission. He feels guilty for keeping everyone there anyway. So he he does test after test, and each time it's jump after jump, it's yeah another it's... four years. By the numbering of the ships that he flies, he goes through 15 different jumps. Right. So Each And the shortest of those would have him jump four years into the... So by the end of the 15th jump, he is like... His best friend's grandmother is a grown woman who he now he interacts with. Mm-hmm. And Granddaughter. Grand, granddaughter. That's the... What did I say? Grandmother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. So the the brunt the main chunk of this movie is him with a bunch of myth misfits. So they the, the the planet's kind of been invaded by the Zerg, who you know obviously are the enemies from Toy Story, and he, the the grown up granddaughter, and her squad becomes his squad, and he learns to be part of a squad. And 
And yeah. It's, uh, and, today, mean, and it's a collection of bad ideas. I mean, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's, 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 been totally, it's totally forgettable. It's fine. It's a it's the epitome of a three-star, put it in front of a kid for an afternoon type movie, although I understand your kid didn't like it. But I, I'm very interested in my, my son's reaction. Who He finds good things to say about most things. Even if they weren't great, he will talk about bits that he likes. And we watch a lot of movies now, so he's quite... Um, he, he's, he, he has good... Uh, ways to explain the parts of the movies he liked. He came back from this movie and he's like, I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. It was terrible. And he's talked he's talked about the time jumps and the time travel and the when when you watch Toy Story and you imagine where Buzz Lightyear comes from, the the way he sort of handles himself as a toy kind of paints this very Star Warsy like space opera, like space spanning planets and aliens and it's weird that the movie that it actually comes from is actually really only in one place and really with one set of aliens. And it, the whole thing to me just felt like a series of badly conceived ideas. Yeah, I don't know. I I like the first half better than the second half. I like the half of the movie where it's just Rip Van Winkle, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. um, and then in the second half where... You know, it's established early on that he, you know, he doesn't like rookies. He doesn't like having to, like, teach or train or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the back half of the movie is literally just him learning to have to, like, to do that and that it's a good thing and mm. all that. It's pretty standard stuff. It's so standard and that's the surprising thing from Pixar as well. Yeah. And I think I but the part, you. But the part where he's, like, continually jumping through in time I thought was really interesting and really well executed. It's just that once they stop doing that it becomes a pretty bog standard movie. Yeah. And, so uh, none of the spark of their other like, well Pixar when they do sci-fi like Wally is exceptional and I kind of wish. It kind of feels like that that this movie is is justifying, itself as, somebody thought what if we make a, a Buzz Lightyear movie but without Tim, Allen Allen because he's problematic like how would that work how could we make more Buzz Lightyear without Tim Allen. And um, it feels like the movie is trying to justify that at all points, and it never really, uh, never really succeeds for me. Like it's, it seems like a quite a quite restricted by its own boundaries. And if I were eleven year old boy, as I was once, this would absolutely not be anywhere near my favorite you mean movie you didn't skip 11 <laughs> <laughs> i decided to participate in 11 from um, yeah. from beginning to end and i it's, guess i guess what it's is not that interesting a movie i mean yeah and the thing i think you're right in that like i think if this movie didn't feel like a gratuitous setup for more movies especially toward the end mm-hmm. it would be more easy to justify as like maybe this was andy's favorite movie because then i don't know if you remember in the 80s but oftentimes you know, the last scene of a movie, like, say, The Last Starfighter, the last scene is like, let's go on more adventures. Yeah. But the movie itself is fairly self-contained, right? Like, there's no, like, obvious sequel bait throughout the story. It's literally just, I came back to Earth and got the girls, so we can go do more stuff <laughs> at the very end. And this movie is very much like, look at all this stuff that we're doing that you will want to see more of later. And I think if it was a little, a little more contained in that way a little more restrained in that way it might be even better a better film 
Maybe I just wanted to see more grandeur, like more interesting things. The, the things that happened in this movie were not that interesting. It was all very much in a single location. And so you wanted more storytelling and less corporate synergy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. And, and the, the planet they're on is quite dreary to visually. Um, the insects, they soon find a reason why the insects stop being a problem. And um, the, the Zerg, who, who the Emperor, or the King Zerg, whatever he's meant to be called, they had an idea for, who, who could this be as a twist? And I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> like, it's, it's just not a good idea. And it's, the it whole movie ma- is a bad idea trifle. And only, yeah, I mean, the reveal of who exactly Zerg is only begs more questions about the time travel mechanics that are already a bit yeah, loosey-goosey. Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. Um... But socks is great. <laughs> like the, ro- the robot cat is I mean, great. I mean, of course you'd love the cat. I mean, that's because the cat is great. Yeah, the cat is great. But I am unashamed to say that I would like a socks toy. Absolutely. That's the only great part of this movie. Like, though. I basically want Disney to buy up whatever portion of Sony used to make the Ibo robot dog <gasps> and to just make socks the robot Dude, cat. No, that's funny. I've thought for years and years about buying an Ibo. I used to sell them in one of my previous lives as a, a working in a convenience store we sold ibos in our technical department for some reason and they were awesome even then and this is going back like 1992 and they were really really cool then so i would love an ibo but you're right you're right that a socks ibo with his little recharging red ears and uh and all kind and his usb tail yeah would be amazing and Chris Evans is fine and Kiki Palmer is fine and Taika Waititi like everyone in it is fine it's actually a cast of superstars really mm-hmm. um and yeah I don't know it's fine it's fine it's totally fine do with that information what you will I mean it's not good it's a two star movie for me it's, yeah it's I, a series of terrible ideas I'm really struggling actually to say whether it's like a I think if I was still giving... I think I have to give it a two out of yeah. five. Because I think I would give it two and a half, ultimately. Mm-hmm. But uh, as my rules state, a yes. two and a half is a high two. So yes. it's a two. I, it's, just, it, it's just badly conceived from front to back. Like, I, I, I finished that movie and it was just... It didn't feel like a Pixar movie. It felt really muted and limited and uninteresting. And compared to... Pretty much any other Disney, any other Pixar. I guess the other thing that bothers me, and I know this is like, I'm an adult and this movie is for children, but mm-hmm. like, the speed at which this, this, so they crash land on this planet, and the speed at which they're able to like, deploy and build this star base and expand it into a fully functioning colony, like, why do they need him to go off planet in any like it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense and the time like they could just they could just fix the colony ship with with the technology they demonstrate throughout the film and i know this becomes a plot point later Mm -hmm. in the film that maybe you know they're like we've made our lives here and that's fine but like early on when they're all still trying to get away it feels like they could have just fixed the ship yeah you know (laughs) that was interesting you say that is that was one of my son's main points is that the time stuff didn't make any sense and he has watched a lot of time travel movies i mean the time the time travel stuff doesn't the time travel stuff is fine my point is that past a certain point it's way like they didn't need it but the twist doesn't make any sense at all 
I mean, I, the twist is very... Like, I'm fine to hand wave that away. It's fine. <laughs> it's a very hand-wavy moment. But, like, <laughs> what I'm talking about is that, like, they... Okay, we're going to build this ship that can go to hyperspeed so that it can take us home or whatever. But first off, they immediately discover that hyperspeed causes time dilation. And then... But also... If they could build this, like, fully functioning colony and a launch pad and a series of new... Sh- like, why do they need to do this at all, is my question. Like, why didn't they just look at the colony ship and be like, let's break out what we need to fix the ship and take off again? Mm-hmm. That's that's where my yeah. adult brain is going with yeah, this. So, I mean, yeah, it's not a great movie. It's not even a great movie for kids, based on the reaction of my kids. It's not a great movie for kids. Yeah. And... We like we watched uh, Luck as well on Apple, which is uh, John Lester's new thing. I mean, the less said, the better, because he's a terrible human. Uh, and it's awful, and they hated it as well. And so, I, whenever there's a, a kids movie, I my barometer is them, because you can tear it apart as an adult. But if if they like it, you gotta look at it again. But um, like with Lu- uh, with Lightyear, they they had no love for it at all. Yeah. Well, let's stop there then, because okay. let's talk about something we do want to talk yes, about. Yes, finally. What's the second film we're talking about today? <laughs> uh, so, just released to Hulu in the United States and Disney Plus here in Soviet Kanakistan uh, <laughs> is the Dan oh. Trachtenberg directed Predator prequel movie Prey, starring Amber Mid Thunder as a. Native American warrior who goes up against a predator, and it is wonderful. Oh my god, this it's movie! So good. Uh, I don't know why this. I mean, I have an idea, an understanding of why this movie went direct to streaming, but like, I would have loved to have seen this movie in a theater. Oh, absolutely! I mean, the the cinematography is incredible. It's one of those movies that begins with scenery inside in in just wildlife noises and the the scope of these shots is so beautiful i want to be like have you ever felt like you want to crawl inside a movie just so you can see it without any anything in your periphery yeah i mean um, I, I watch movies with uh roger deakins as a all the time <laughs> yeah that's a good point but this this movie like my tv is not big enough i want to i want this to fill my eyes i want to be in a dark room because it just looks incredible. The the confidence that Dan Trachtenberg has has uh, like shown. This is his second movie, and he's taken on a a prize eighties franchise that, to be honest, has not been treated very well in the last couple, like couple of decades with the Aliens versus movies, and, and even the last couple have not been great. And just be so confident in telling what is ultimately a coming of age movie that happens to be in the Predator franchise. It's such a clever movie. Yeah. And the parallel story and the the and how narrow this this girl who wants to prove to be a warrior and they're just I love the part where she tries to follow them on a hunt and the other uh warriors, the men are like, Why are you coming? We don't need a cook. And yeah. she's just like, Oh my god. Yeah. And she is determined to show that she can do this. And she's not great at a lot of it and she learns a lot of things towards the end that she then uses it's one of those wonderful satisfying stories where the the protagonist uses what they've learned in order to finish the story yeah i mean the basic synopsis of the film is that amber mid thunder plays naru she's a, a 
uh, a young woman who is sort of, you know, living the hunter-gatherer life as a woman in this tribe in 1719 in the Comanche tribe, but she wants to be a hunter, and she, long story short, she figures out that there's something out there, that, that something is a predator, and no one believes her until it's too late, and then she has to confront the predator. Like, it's a pretty standard predator story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how many of the predator movies you've watched, but it's pretty straightforwardly a predator movie, and... Yeah, it's it mixes in some wonderful coming of age elements, um, some excellent representation of Comanche culture, um, and Amber Thunder's great. I hope she becomes a megastar based on this. She's already like I've already been aware of her from especially from Legion, in which she was also really good. But, oh, she's in Legion. Yeah, in yeah. the Legion TV show with uh, uh-huh. um, Dan, what's his name from uh-huh. Downton Abbey? Um, oh, why can't I remember his name? Anyway. Um, She's really, really good. And actually, you know, they made, they got all First Nations actors to play the First Nation characters. Uh, there's a lot of really authentic feeling First Nations cultural moments. Lots of First Na- Nations languages without subtitles, which I actually really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they do meet some white people, they're all French. And there's no subtitles, which mm-hmm. I also really liked. Yeah. Um, and... Everyone in it is great, and it really commits to its, admittedly, very simple core premise. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> everything between Naru and her brother, because her brother's like a well-regarded like hunter in the tribe, and that's what she wants to be. And their whole dynamic is an excellent big brother, little sister mm-hmm. dynamic. And there's not really anything to do with her father, but her mother is an interesting presence as well. And... Just everything she does. She even has a dog that's great. There's a great dog in this movie. Yeah, the dog, I, oh, I'm not spoil that. But yes, the, the dog is wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how much I more... I like, I'm just rambling at this point. But this movie's great and you should definitely watch it. Is, my, is the logline of my review of this film. This absolutely should have been a theatrical release. And there are yeah. business reasons why it wasn't. But see, when you watch this, it, it, it screams for a room full of people. And, and honestly... The last half an hour of this movie, which is the culmination of everything Naru has learned really through mistakes. Like she has, uh, she's not the kind of person who, who, who knows what she's doing at the beginning. Yeah, there's some and, real trial and error stuff. It's really... And so the yeah. culmination of this story, I just want to be in a room full of people because there's a peak. And I get the feeling that that would be reflected vocally in the group of people. It's one of those movies you want to scream at. And it, the uh, action direction is incredible. There's one very long take where it's uh, Naru versus, um, insert antagonist here, uh, or multiple antagonists. And it is just... Yeah, actually really have, like... Done. It's interesting because that scene you're talking about where she takes on multiple bad guys um, is a really great example of things we've talked about very recently on this show about mm-hmm. how like stop cutting so fast and let me see what's happening and because it's a long take that is true you can see it but then also the camera's a little bit on the shaky side so it's not perfect it's very close as well but I kind of for me that really really worked I mean I'm just saying it's probably my favorite scene in the movie yeah. to be clear yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at least my favorite action scene in the movie 
Uh, it's really well done. I just wish that the camera had been a little bit further away and a little bit steadier. Because uh, there's like there's one moment where she has this weapon that's basically a tomahawk on a mm -hmm. rope. And it goes sideways on her at one point in the fight. And it's not entirely clear what's happening in the moment because the camera's moving so... Uh, mm -hmm. I guess the generous word would be dynamically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, that, I, I didn't really stand out to me. I... I love the flashes of humour as well. Even from the Predator, there's one very funny moment. I don't know if you picked up on this. Where the Predator clearly goes, huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, that's in the middle of a different uh, ensemble fight. And it's so inventive. And there is a number of moments which are full on, like mouth open, lean forward. Mm -hmm. uh and it's really, really nice to... I, I, I love Predator. Predator's one of the movies from my childhood that really defined my love for sci-fi and horror. And um, the... I don't mind Predator 2 even. I quite I quite like Predator 2. But the other Predator movies have not been great. I would say that... I mean, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this is the best Predator movie since Predator. Mm -hmm. And I like a lot of the Predator... Like, the Predator was not a very good movie, but I like Predators, and I like Predator 2, and I can find some nice things to say about Aliens vs. Predator, at least the first one. The second one is just straight garbage, mm, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is clearly, like, it's such a, a wonderful return to form for the franchise with... And one thing, I think a lesser movie would also be a lot more fanservice-y, and that's mm -hmm. not to say that this movie doesn't have moments of fanservice, but there's, like, three very specific moments, mm -hmm. all of which are executed mm -hmm. extremely well, and within the context of yes, the story, they, the all, they all make perfect sense where they are. It's not just sprinkled in for the sake of it. Yep. And one of them is to Predator 2, which I really appreciate. <laughs> um... So yeah, I think it's a really, really well-executed movie, uh, well-executed story. I think Dan Dan Trachtenberg is two for two. He's a brilliant director. Yep. And uh, I would just like to also, while we're on the topic, because I don't want to forget to say it, because the score for this movie, mm -hmm. which was made by Sarah uh, Schachner, uh, is brilliant. I haven't gone to, to add a score album to my Apple Music library faster than this one this year so far <laughs> like as soon as the credits rolled i was like well i need to have that on my phone yeah. you know like it's it's so good mm -hmm. it's a, you know the the main predator themes are reimagined wonderfully the original themes for the characters are all great it's got a real last of the mohicans vibe at certain points mm -hmm. which is a, another score that i absolutely love and uh it really works it really helps carry the you know carry and complement the emotions of the film it's big and epic, but it doesn't, like, tell you how to feel. It just goes mm -hmm. along with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's a really wonderful, wonderful score for a and, wonderful movie. And it's mixed in with moments of stillness as well, where Naru is, is trying to be a hunter and is just listening and breathing. And, and oh, yeah, they, they, sure. they let us be with her. Instead of filling it with a moment of music, there's moments of just forest noise. And, and it's so effective when, like, you hear the animals stop moving and you just know... You start hearing what she can hear, and you can hear the, the danger approaching. And um, the it doesn't rush any of it. Like there's there's a, a lot of this movie doesn't have the predator in it, and mm -hmm. I think that's so clever. Like the the um, 
a lot of the Predator movies, I feel, is like, that's just cut to him skinning people and chasing people. And like, people want to see the fight and they want to see how they outsmart the Predator. But a huge chunk of this movie has got nothing to do with the Predator. Yeah, and there are there it's... are two sort of gratuitous Predator moments right near the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do both serve a purpose, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which, I guess, probably wasn't really necessary, but one of which that, you know... Yes, it's a gratuitous moment of, like, the Predator being the Predator that we all remember. But also, it serves to remind us that the Predator is, you know, has good reflexes and has mm-hmm. tools at his disposal. Uh, and as a total side note, I, w- I also just really like that this movie is set in 1719. And I actually really like that not only is he facing more primitive people, <laughs> mm-hmm. but his tools are all less uh, less advanced versions of the ones we've already seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Which, redesign was fantastic. Like, the redesign of the, uh, like, and there's a clear, like, you can definitely see, like, a clear line from where this Predator's stuff is to where mm-hmm. the 1980s Predator's tools are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very, very well thought out uh, regression of the Predator technology. Mm-hmm. And story relevant as well. Like, the, yep. the different weaponry is, in context, important that it is different. Yep, 100%. And, uh... It, the the face uh had a has had a bit of a redesign it's a bit longer and i think it's more it's better for it as well yeah it's i mean the way more alien like yeah the new the new predator mask which is made out of bone or appears to be made out of bone anyway mm-hmm. um gives the predator a real sort of horse-faced look mm-hmm. uh, or sauron from lord of the rings mm-hmm. type look and it's very effective mm-hmm. they're kind of reusing at least partially the design of the bigger predator from the predator a couple years ago um but it's much more effective in this movie mm-hmm. so yeah this yeah. is really clever i was really struck by how clever this movie is to to find a predator story but through the focus of this other hunter who because we know we know the predators now it for them coming to a planet and hunting the strongest hunter is a, is a, a a thing they must do to prove themselves as well. We know that from the other movies. Yeah. And so, you to have that parallel storytelling, uh, with so much emphasis on the Comanches and so much emphasis on Nauru, and no, none of it is rushed and none of it is is just for exhibition. Like it's all really important, and she is given time to show that she understands the land and she understands the people. And then you've got the wider metaphor of like the imperious, imperial uh, like uh, colonizers turning up with advanced weaponry and, and, uh, and, and trying to roll over the, the natives and the natives using the land. And um, what I really, really liked as, as well is that the solution to beating the predator in this movie is not the same solution as beating the predator in the original although um, yeah i don't want to it, not yeah. directly like and and they do i think it's, wonder- it's very very funny that at one point i think dan trackenberg is fucking with us because he kind of takes us down a route that is almost exactly the same and then uses it in a different way yeah it uh to use the george lucas term it rhymes very nicely it, it really does it really really does yeah yeah and you know uh, I don't know what else I can really say about this movie other than go see it. I really hope... Amber Mid Thunder's been around for quite a while. 
and she's been in a bunch of stuff, and she's um, she's actually going to be in the upcoming live action version of Avatar: The Last Airbender as well, which oh. I'm very much looking forward to. That's um, and she's been in a bunch of movies, and, and she's great. Uh, Dakota Beavers, who plays her brother, and I'm going to mispronounce this, sorry, but I think it's Ta- Tabe, Ta-abe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um He's only been in this. Is this like, his first thing? It's his second credit ever. The first one was as himself in a TV show. No. Um, and he's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but they also have, like, Michelle Thrush and Julian Black Antelope. Like, there's a lot of really great... Uh, First Nations representation and and all of the performances are great. Like it's mm. uniformly great. Yeah. So and it, and it, it goes to some really interesting places. It doesn't just stick with the tribe. It, there's a lot of drama within the tribe. In fact, there's a moment of quite extreme drama within the tribe that is really interesting how it fits into the story. And and then um, it also ties in this idea of the Europeans colonizing the land and their, their kind of influence and their um, uh, uh, complacency with feeling that they're the top of the food chain. Yeah, and, it does really nicely play with those ideas, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a lot literally happening, there's a lot of metaphor happening. and But on top of that, even before all that, you've got this incredible action movie with inc- that's incredibly shot and choreographed that is genuinely shocking and exciting with absolutely one of the most satisfying action movie endings that I've seen in a mm-hmm. long time so satisfying it's a, it's a really great example of how much meaning and thought you can layer into a premise when that premise is clear and simple yeah you know like there's a real like when you think about, and I hate to pick on Marvel, but they're the big target, right? So when you think about Marvel and how much thought they put into expanding the universe and making sure everything's interconnected and how much lore is there, mm-hmm. this this movie doesn't have any of that, and doesn't even mean to. Doesn't like the there's like and there's about I think there's exactly three callbacks to previous Predator movies, mm-hmm. and the core plot is Naru knows there's a Predator and nobody else will believe her, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's yeah. the whole, that's literally the whole story, and it is great from start to finish. So, let me guess, I'm going uh, to read, read your mind <laughs> and say that you're going to give this a 5 out of 5. Oh, let's see, yeah, this is a 5, this is a clear 5 out of 5. Yeah, I loved it too, I'm giving it a 5 so out of 5. You, yeah, uh, I just, I, I find it very strange that we're in a the timeline where a brilliantly made sequel to a treasured property is straight to streaming, like without any theatrical run. Things are weird at the moment to get to that point. Like, I mean, it's all business stuff though, right? Like as I understand it and I'm, I have exactly no inside knowledge, but as I understand it, the reason it's straight to streaming is that it's a 20th century release, which means it was a Fox release originally. And 20th century still has some streaming rights agreement with HBO max uh, for things that are released in theaters that hasn't expired yet. So in order for it to be a Disney property and to like, it needs to be released in on streaming is my, maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong, but the answer is it's all bullshit licensing rights issues. And that's a shame because it like this movie would 
I think this movie would do gangbusters in a oh, cinema. Oh, it would do brilliant. And it would look so good as well. And it's really, out of all the movies this year, the only other film that I really truly think is enhanced by the big screen, in fact, there's two other movies, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a is a brilliant big screen movie, as is Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Um, this is up there with them. Like, this, this would be enhanced massively by seeing it on a big screen with lots of people in a dark room. Uh, but it's already amazing at home. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, I really hope the um, the reception it's got, which has been so positive from so many people, um, is it, it does something to turn the cogs and actually drive a theatrical release, if that's even possible with this. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I hope really it'll be. I hope one one day I get to see it in theater yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, good. So, so go see Prey. Go to your TV and watch Prey. Like, go and watch the brand new Predator movie at yeah. home that you've probably already paid for. I do have one note about the movie. One thing. I guess there there's two things I think would make it better. One, there's one scene that takes place in a place that has very little context in the story that I wish was cleaned up a little bit. And I also wish... there. So if you watch on, again, Hulu in the States, Disney Plus here in Canada, you can watch a version of this that's in Comanche. Which I think is really cool, just for the record. Mm-hmm. But I actually think the movie would have been better. And again, I understand all the business bullshit reasons why they didn't do this. But I think it would have been better if they had just shot the movie in Comanche and presented it with subtitles. Mm-hmm. And I know that Disney's never going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I, I 100% believe it would have been better f- in that context. It's only a bit more authentic, isn't it? But Yeah. I I agree with you. It's it it's not a deal breaker. No. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just kind of like if we're gonna do the representation, we should do the representation. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. But that there is a Comanche dub of it at all mm-hmm. is massive. massive and super interesting. And I honestly, I watched this movie last night as of the time we're recording this, and then after my wife went to bed, I watched the last half hour of it again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I can't wait to watch it again, but with the Comanche dub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good. Hopefully there's another one. Like, I'm, I'm not going to spoil the ending. The ending's tied up, but the there's something oh. in the credits that kind of hits and, yeah. there's another one. And watch the credits, because the, the credits are all done in the style of a cave painting animation, and it's yeah. all, it's wonderful. Just stay and watch them. They're gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Alright, what have we got coming up next week then? Oh, we've got two more movies and I don't know what they are. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, it's all very up in the air as of right now. But if all goes to plan, we'll be covering the new Netflix release, Day Shift, next week. And mm-hmm. something else. I don't know what something else is yet. Alright. Um, yeah. Well, that's going to be the end of our show. Because that's the end of our show. We have to go eat dinner. My, our wives are preparing dinner upstairs, so let's go and do that. Yes. Uh, which is fine. We will do it next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you very much for listening. We love each and every one of you. Um, if you've liked what you've heard, please you know, uh, tweet at us at AwesomeFridayCA or Simon is at TemporaryPen or I am SmathUAF. Um <laughs> And if you, again, give us a five-star review. Give this episode a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. This uh, is the prey of podcast episodes, so you should give us five stars, definitely. Yeah, I mean, let's not go crazy. But 
Um, and again, if you'd like to support us more directly, we do have a Patreon and a Ko-fi, and that'll all be linked in the show notes, along with a link to this episode's homepage, where you can find all of our other content. Uh, we also produce this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. Thank you so much for joining us on this awesome Friday. Thanks, bye!